0: This is the podcast for the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Don't forget that you can listen to us across the Faith Radio Network for the entire hour, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Central or 10 a.m. Eastern. If you want your question read on the show or have any comments, send it to Jeremiah at AskJJJ.com. Hey, Dr. Johnston.
1: Hello. Uh,
0: hello. Uh, well, since you guys are Christian thinkers... Sorry, I just want to leave that question. I wanted to get your input on that appreciate it. Thank you, Douglas. That's my question. Thanks a bunch. Thank you.
1: Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show, combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. And welcome to a very special day on the Jeremiah Johnston program. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our one-year anniversary of this radio broadcast on Faith Radio Network. I am so excited. It has gone so fast, this first year of programs. If you check out um, our website over on Faith Radio Network, the Jeremiah Johnston Show or our podcast, you're going to look back and you're going to notice 52 one-hour programs, all unique, every single week answering your unanswered questions of the faith. That's what this program is all about. We haven't changed. Uh, It's all about answering the difficult questions that come up in our faith and what has happened over the last year of broadcasts, have been hundreds, if not thousands, of responses that I have received and that we've also received at Faith Radio Network from listeners from those who read the blog, from those who listen to the program, either live or on demand, who tell us this program is transforming my spiritual life. It's strengthening my faith. And friends, that is what happens when you lock into a biblical world and life view. And I'm just so grateful. I want to say thanks to a few people. First and foremost, I want to thank God for this program. The only reason we do this program is for it to be a ministry into your life, for it to encourage your faith, for it to strengthen your faith, undergird your faith, help you in those challenging moments that we all have. I also want to thank God for Faith Radio Network for airing this broadcast. I want to thank God for the vision of Neil Staven, who called me and said, Jeremiah, we want you to do this program on our network and uh, wouldn't leave me alone. and And we caught up and we've dreamed this program together. I want to thank God for Nat Becker, the producer of this program, who since day one... Uh, always has such a voice and a heart of joy in doing this program and represents himself and the show with great professionalism, by the way, with all of our guests. I want to thank Amy uh, for all of her help scheduling guests. I want to thank Sierra, who has stood up uh, time and time again with editing and production. Um, Those of you who are listening out in radio world, uh, these are real people uh, who spend lots of time putting this broadcast together. And I think we need to take time to celebrate these great wins. I think so often in the Christian, life. Unfortunately, we don't celebrate our victories enough. You know, we're always talking about the grind of the Christian faith, but can we just stop and just say happy birthday to this radio program? It's a year old, and we're just so thankful to God for it. And then finally, I do want to thank all of the donors of Christian Thinkers Society um, who have given also on the Christian Thinkers Society so we can put in an HD radio studio, so we can have all the equipment that we have to record broadcasts um, either in Houston, Texas, where I am right now, or on the road i 've recorded get interviews with guests uh, in cities all over America, where I happen to be speaking at conferences with other interesting people and want to capture their interviews, all the video equipment. these are things that God has provided. Uh, And then finally, I want to thank God for every listener, every one of you who listen to this program, who connect with us on the Jeremiah Johnston Show now through ChristianThinkers.com, AskJJJ.com. We value your time and that you give us your time to listen to this program. That's why we've been uh, doing our best to have an excellent, excellent product that we put out for this show. We work at it every week. We thank you for your prayers. Today, we have a great program uh, with Bruce Riley Ashford, an excellent up-and-comer, a great thinker, a great leader in the Christian faith. He's the provost of Southeastern Seminary. He's a regular contributor at Fox News. He's got excellent thoughts to share with us today. He's waiting on hold. Uh, We're going to be talking about faith and culture, faith in the workplace, uh, how faith uh, intersects with kingdom of God, something we don't talk enough about in the faith um, in his new book, his new books, I should say. Very excited about what God's going to do today on the program. But we're celebrating today a year on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. His name is Bruce Riley Ashford, and he is the provost and professor of theology and culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Friends, you probably know his name because you've read him on one of the many media outlets that he writes about. He's an excellent crossover thinker. He writes for Fox News Opinion Page. He's been featured on NPR, USA Today, and even the Heritage Foundation's Daily Signal. He's the author and co-author of seven books. Uh, I'm going to be discussing two of those with him today, The Gospel of Our King and Letters to an American Christian, Bruce Riley Ashford. It is awesome to have you on the program today with us.
0: Jeremiah, thank you so much. It's great to be on the show.
1: Bruce, I want to get your thoughts on something that's buzzing around the media today. Um, and I don't—I I have thoughts about it, uh, frustrating thoughts, and I need you to help us think clearly about it. This is the program where we tackle the tough questions. And I, I noticed that it's becoming a trend to announce your deconversion on social media and Instagram. And I'm seeing this again and again. Many people are. What do you make of these these announcements on social media of people that suddenly have lost their faith and they're just really, really okay with that?
0: Yeah. So, you know, on the one hand, let me just talk about social media and then the second uh, deconversion. I do think social media has encouraged us to want to publicize every aspect of our life that we want to publicize. In other words, to sort of create an image And on any given topic, not conversion or deconversion, I think we've got a lot of people who are obsessing on their image, and it's a temptation for all of us. When it comes to deconversion, um, you know, I think that's as big of a deal or as big of an event as a conversion. And if you're going to announce something, that would be an important thing to announce, right? Because um, as I see it, all people are worshipers, everyone, bar none, atheist, agnostic, Christian. We all... Worship something, uh, we all ascribe ultimacy to something, uh absolutize something, and when there's a major shift that occurs in somebody's life it it's really the most major shift that can occur, and so that would be a good thing to announce if you were going to announce something.
1: My question for you specifically for the church leaders that are listening, these individuals who have leadership positions in the first in the church, I think of first Timothy and Titus specifically that gives. Um, the qualities of leaders in the church, and I mean, we could go even to other par- parts of the New Testament. Are we failing? Are we elevating people prematurely based on their talent without giving them the theological underpinnings to earn the right to be "quote unquote" on the platform on God's church? I want to get your thoughts on this.
0: Yeah, so you know, the cause of these deconversions, I think, I think uh, there there is. it it is the case that, um, people are being elevated too quickly. Um, it's not necessarily the case that they're becoming pastors too quickly, but I think, uh, when somebody becomes a nationally spotlighted quote unquote Christian leader at a very young age before they've had to go through some trials and tribulations and, uh, make a family and and so forth. Uh, I I think it, it can go to the head and, um, And I'm not sure exactly what all the other causes are. Um, I know that there's an enormous amount of pressure socially and culturally to disassociate oneself from Christian teaching, uh, especially teaching on gender and sexuality. I think the pressure is going to increase. It's going to increase in upcoming years. I think we're going to have to build a stronger brand of Christianity in our churches. Um, And it's going to have to ride in on the back of relationships as well as doctrinal teaching. Uh, we can't just uh, teach from from a pulpit for 45 minutes uh, and expect that to be able to combat uh, our young people who are exposed for four or five, six hours a day to Hollywood, uh, secular news outlets, uh, the pressures of their friends. Uh, so church, I think, is going to have to involve a lot more than the Sunday morning hour. We're going to have to find ways of building uh, strong relationships, holding each other accountable um, and that kind of thing.
1: Friends, our guest today is Bruce Ashford. I want you to connect with him on Twitter, at Bruce Ashford, and Facebook, Bruce.Riley.Ashford. You're dropping some wisdom on our program already. I love what you're saying. We have to build a stronger brand of Christianity within our churches. We have to do it, yes, with teaching doctrine, but also with relationships. Um, and where have we erred in our modern sense of Christianity? I have my own thoughts, but are we, are we... <laughs> Are we airing on one side or the other? Are we out of sync? What can we do specifically for the ministry leaders who are listening who hate this? I mean, nobody likes to see this. Our hearts break for those individuals that are announcing their deconversion on social media. Um, but it also, I think, is purifying the church in a way that for leaders, Bruce, I mean, what can we do to build a stronger brand of Christianity? You are an individual, you've spoken at universities, seminaries, and Public institutions, not just here in the U.S., but across Europe, Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. So, so tell us for those listeners, um, specifically our ministry leaders who are listening, what can we do to build a stronger brand of Christianity?
0: Yeah, you know, I the the first thought that comes to mind is you know, so I've done some work with uh, uh, persecuted churches, persecuted Christians all over the world. That's where a lot of that travel that you mentioned uh, came from, and historically, and globally. Christianity has been at its strongest when it's been persecuted. And what I see when I meet with these leaders is I see uh, I see a couple of things. One is enormous external pressure to conform to secular ideology or to some other religion. So either to a totalitarian yeah. ideology, uh, like a, a communism or something like that, or to Islamic ideology, or to some kind of secular secular ideology. So there's an enormous amount of pressure. And that winnows it's out, uh, people, it, it, the fake Christian just kind of they fade away. You know, Jesus said in Luke 14: 25 through 33, uh, Luke said that there were a lot of people following Jesus, but when Jesus turned around and said to them that, "Listen, you're going to have to choose me even over your mother and father and, and the people surrounding you," that that narrowed narrowed down uh, the the uh, circle a little bit. Um, so what the persecuted church does in response is uh, they build a tightly knit church family. They usually have to meet in secret and they meet in apartments, you know, and uh, that's not exactly going to be our model in the U.S. We don't need to meet secretly, but I think we have to find a way of naming the enormous social and cultural pressure that we're under, naming it and recognizing it, and then somehow building close forms of community. And that's a tough one for us to solve. My church, we've got about 12,000 people attending. And we've got so we've got our Sunday morning pulpit time when we gather uh, and we have small group time. And, uh, and, and we're always trying to navigate this. What are some other third spaces we can build in our church? You know, what are some um, lecture series or fellowship events? How can we um, cause our people to enter into a close relationship with each other and with the Lord and to reinforce Christian teaching and to support and encourage each other? So I, I, I don't know exactly how to do that. And it's going to look different f- for different churches, right? You've got rural churches, you've got urban churches, you've got different denominations, but we've absolutely got to find a way to do this. And here's our competition. Our people have a liturgy that they go through, many of them, many of us. And that is that we listen to secular news and opinion outlets for hours a day or hours in the evening and we watch Hollywood stuff for hours and hours and hours and it just it it, uh it forms us and shapes our way of thinking in ways that we don't even know and we've got to push back against that we have to let the bible's narrative of the world be the true story of the whole world not a secular news outlet not uh, a hollywood worldview let that narrative be the true story of the whole world and then we need to soak ourselves in that narrative because God has asked us to actually be a part of that narrative. We are actually acting out uh, an act in the biblical play, but in between the first and second coming of Christ, that we are God's agents uh, for this era in the U.S. with transgender ideology and with uh, views of gender and sexuality that come against the Christian view. Um, And we need to embrace the moment and strengthen our selves as Christians and be witnesses for the Lord no matter who opposes us. Mm -hmm.
1: I love this again, friends, if you're just joining us across Faith Radio Network, our guest today is Dr. Bruce Ashford. He's the provost of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, a wonderful thinker, an excellent author, a really great dad, too. I love what you said about Luke 14, Bruce. Um, (laughs) It was Luke 14. I was called to ministry listening to Luke 14 uh, the summer after my sixth grade year uh, in the KJV version. I had to look it up uh, because in the KJV, it's the... Uh, That word hate, that Greek idiom of preference, unless you hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, you can't be my disciple. (laughs) I love that passage, and what a great challenge for us today. I think it's also a fun segue because I think one of the ways that we learn to think more deeply about our faith, take discipleship seriously, is by the example of others. And I I want you to guide us by the hand, if you will, Bruce, about your own personal walk with Christ because you had some seminal moments. I know this because of your books that I have read. Um, you had some really neat seminal moments, you had some great formative moments in your upbringing, but also early on as a Christian thinker, um, that I think taught you to just to have a biblical world and life view. Can you, can you take us through some of those highlights?
0: Yeah. So the first thing I would mention is, uh, my parents that, uh, they were, neither of them were Christians. My mother was a philosophy major and an atheist who is depressive and, uh, deeply depressive and, uh, my father was a, a heavy drinker and uh, just uh, kind of a mocker of the things of faith. And they came to faith in the Lord when I was very young and immediately began teaching me the scriptures. But also they received in the mail four times a year uh, a, a publication by Voice of the Martyrs mm. that told stories of Christians who were persecuted and sent to concentration camps in the USSR and in other places, and so from a very young age, I began to pray for Christians who were living out their faith in really tough situations and circumstances. And then uh, I came to faith uh, when I was uh, senior in high school, and very soon after that, uh, the Lord took me overseas, and I lived in a predominantly Muslim context where it was illegal to share my faith, mm. and lived and worked there, and ended up planting a church there. And got to see God's hand at work and a, an amazing, I'd say about 60% of the people I encountered were Muslims and about 40% were atheists. Wow! And hundreds of them became acquaintances or friends of mine and remain so today. And some of them have become Christians. So that was a big moment. And then while I was there, I discovered some Christian thinkers who've influenced me. Abraham Kuyper, who was a uh, prime minister of the Netherlands, was a strong uh, Christian and a really good thinker. And uh Rich John Newhouse, who is the founder of uh Institute on Religion and Public Life and First Things Magazine was somebody who influenced me. And so there's a there there are a, a few of those moments in my life.
1: Mm. Talk about the role of the Bible, and obviously the Scriptures, what you said you learned from an early age. That reminds me of Timothy, Acts 14 and 16, and 2 Timothy 1-5. Can you just talk about the role of the Bible and, and what how the Scriptures help you with your world and life
0: view, even as a scholar today? Yeah, you know, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what it's saying at, at really at rock bottom there is that our thinking is influenced by, by our heart. And the Bible relates religion to the heart more than 800 times. And in, and in the Bible, uh, heart language, the heart is the central organizer of human existence. And so your heart is going to be pointed toward whatever you think is ultimate, whatever you love more than anything else. That could be the God of Jesus Christ, the Allah of Muhammad, it could be sex or money or power. Or, or science, or uh, comfort, or success, or approval. I mean, whatever it is your heart is pointing toward. And uh, whatever your heart is pointing toward, it's going to affect your thinking. Your affections, our heart's affections, affect our thinking more than we think they do. And if if we want to think well, and to be able to see reality for all the, all, all that it is, and to be able to... Um, sort of see the framework of the world and its architecture. the best place to start is uh, god 's revelation of himself in the Bible and from early on, my parents uh, had me memorizing scripture. they would pay me i 'd get an allowance <laughs> for doing it. <laughs> I love it and I still have that uh, in my head. I still have uh large swaths of scripture um, in my memory structures and i i'm very grateful to my parents for that. Wow,
1: uh, friends, you're listening to the Jeremiah Johnson Show. We're having an excellent dialogue with Bruce Riley at Ashford. Eight hundred times the heart and scripture is equated together. Knowing these things, loving God with our heart, soul, and mind. We're going to be back talking about Bruce's brand new book. It's just been released not long ago. It's a fabulous book. It's an excellent read. It's called The Gospel of Our King. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Bruce Ashford. <laughs> Back to the show friends he's appeared on c-span npr fox news many other nationally syndicated shows i love it every time he writes uh, op-ed pieces i always share them enjoy reading them i'm talking with bruce riley ashford he's the provost and professor of theology and culture at southeastern baptist theological seminary He's husband to Lauren, dad to three amazing children, uh, and just a, a great guy, a great representative of the faith today. Um, I want to encourage you to connect with him on social media, Twitter, at Bruce Ashford, and Facebook is Bruce.Riley.Ashford. Um, Bruce, tell us about, you've, you've authored more than seven books, um, but I'm really excited about the nature of this newest book, Bible worldview and the Mission of every Christian that's the subtitle the The title is the Gospel of our King. What's the big idea of the Gospel of our King for our audience?
0: You know what we wanted to do, my co-author uh, Heath Thomas and I is we we wanted to uh, we wanted to answer a hypothetical question uh, and a hypothetical question is something like this What is Christianity all about? And our approach to it is that in the first half of the book, We teach the entire Bible in four chapters, and in the second half of the book, we show its implications for the Christian life. Now, the first half, uh, what we do is we, we show that the Bible, even though it's composed of 66 books written over thousands of years by numerous different authors in multiple different genres, that it has a coherence to it. There's a couple types of coherence. It has a systematic coherence that you can articulate with categories and topics, but it also has a narrative coherence. And in this book, we teach the Bible as an unfolding narrative uh, that is, in fact, the true story of the whole world. And we can come back to that in, in, in a moment if you want to. Yeah. But then what we do is we, we talk about the Christian gospel that arises from that, the, the announcement that Christ, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, and suffered on our behalf, who was uh, and rose from the dead uh, to provide sal- uh, salvation for us. We talk about this an- announcement that Jesus is Savior and that He's King. We talk about how that should shape the Christian life um, socially, culturally, uh, and personally. So that's kind of the gist of the book.
1: I absolutely love this because I think an honestly an under uh, misunderstood aspect is how the kingdom of heaven kingdom of god depending which gospel you, you read was literally invading the kingdom of satan uh audience, for our audience I mean Jesus said of satan your kingdom is telos echi in greek your kingdom is coming to an end it was an invasion of god's kingdom on earth and there were signs and spectacles there were wonders uh Bruce often say that You know, some of crusty Christians today might not like it if Jesus came to their town or village, because when Jesus showed up, there were healings, there were miracles, there were exorcisms, and a huge party broke out (laughs) after the fact. Um, That's what happened when God's kingdom came to earth and invaded the kingdom of Satan. Um, Can you just explain how primary and central this teaching was, and really how important it is for us, not only how primary it was in Jesus' own teaching, but for us to understand gospel mission from the New Testament?
0: Yeah. You know, I think um, the emphasis in American Christianity, uh, you know, in the last century has not been on Jesus bringing a kingdom. And that's unfortunate because when Jesus said, when Jesus announced that he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And when Paul talked about the gospel in first Corinthians fifteen three through five, and when the word gospel or kingdom are used, nobody in the new Testament would have thought that Jesus was merely talking about only saving individuals Uh, from their sins so that they can have a a, a life of private worship of God. Because Jesus Christ, right? Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not like he went to the doctor's office and they said, well, hey, Jesus, uh, fill out this form if you will put your last name there. (laughs) He's like, oh, my last name is Christ. I come from the Christ family. That um, Christ is the is the transliteration of the Hebrew word Messiah, meant the kingdom bringer. It's a huge concept. So you mentioned his miracles a moment ago. Um, that the Jesus did very specific types of miracles. You know, he didn't just do crazy stuff. He didn't levitate or you know catch mm-hmm. bullets in his teeth or create a purple elephant for people to look at. When he did a miracle. Uh, It always made two points. Number one, it confirmed that he is, in fact, who he says he is, which is God. And number two, it it illustrates what type of salvation he would bring. So, for example, when he um, calmed a storm, he was saying, hey, listen, I'm the same God who caused a storm, you know, in the story of Jonah. Or uh, I'm the same one who created the waters and now I can calm them. And so and then the second thing he was saying is this is the kind of salvation I'm going to bring that one day there will be no more storms. Same thing mm-hmm. goes with him healing, healing lepers, which is kind of the HIV of his day, the, the horrible yeah. disease that, that couldn't be healed. Or same thing when he raised someone from the dead, he was declaring who he is, cosmic king of the universe and what kind of salvation he would bring. And here's the salvation he'll bring when he returns one day, he will not return as a suffering servant. He'll return as a conquering king. He'll crush his enemies. He'll, ins- he'll set the world to rights. He'll install a one-world government and a one-party system in which justice will roll down like the waters. There'll be no more tears. And this is this is the, the, the great hope as a Christian. And by hope, I don't mean, ooh, I wish it'll happen. It's a certain hope for us. This is our expectation, our confident expectation. And as believers, we want our lives individually and corporately to be a preview of that coming kingdom. You know, we want our dealings to be characterized by justice and goodness and uh, Christian love, uh, truth-telling, uh, and so we want to be a preview of that coming kingdom.
1: I think that's such a great point. Let's go back to that narrative that you were going to share about the un- unfolding of the this narrative for the whole world. Pick that up where you were.
0: Yeah, I mean, so maybe I'll just summarize the narrative in a couple of minutes. Do we have a couple of minutes yeah, for me to do, do. that? Yeah, please
1: do. Excellent. And again, friends, we're discussing his brand new book, I Want You to Get the Gospel of Our King.
0: Okay, uh, so so listen, um, there's different ways you can d- divide the narrative of the Bible, depending on how precise you want to be. I'm going to do one that's just kind of a, a broad brush, because so, we've got a couple minutes here, that you can teach the Bible's narrative in terms of creation, fall, uh, redemption, and... Uh, restoration. So in terms of creation, uh, what we want to remember is that God created the world from nothing. It's very similar to uh, big bang cosmology. If you're out there and you, and you like science that the world Mm -hmm. expanded from a point of infinite density, that God created the world from nothing and that he normed it, that there are moral norms. That's kind of a way we ought to live. And that he also furnished the world and normed it so that we would have the world that we have now Not just a world of like uh, you know oceans and and terrain and sky and land but a world that has art and science and politics and economics and scholarship and education that god's the one intended this and at the very center of it all are human beings he created human beings in his image and likeness so every human being has worth and value to god now at the time of creation everything in the world was the way it's supposed to be but very soon after the creation of the world That the the narrative takes a dark turn it it twists in a bad direction that Adam and Eve instead of worshiping God uh, Decided to worship self. They decided to elevate themselves and to try to become their own God So instead of being an ambassador for God the king They wanted to be king and queen and when they did that when they attempt to seize power for themselves They fell from grace And that fall affected all of their progeny, all of us who have followed in their footsteps, that all of us, just like Adam and Eve, have sinned. And so our sin basically is that our heart, instead of being directed toward God in affection toward Him, is directed in affection toward false gods, sex Mm -hmm. or money or power or comfort. And these things twist our thinking and they twist our living. And... But the positive is that immediately, as soon as the fall happened, that God promised that he would send a Savior, and he began revealing who that Savior would be. And over the course of centuries and centuries and centuries, he revealed more and more. And then finally, the Savior came, and the Savior was Jesus. And um, he offers that salvation to us. Now, if I could just explain the, the gospel in a nutshell, that God came to earth himself to take on human flesh to live the life that we should have lived but didn't live, a life of perfect conformity to God's law, and that he was willing to be crushed on a cross. And that was God's way of uh, taking the penalty for our sin onto himself and saying, listen, I'll pay the penalty for your sin out of love for you who I created. And if you'll believe on me and embrace me, uh, your sins are forgiven. So it's as if Christ said, and when he was on the cross, listen, I'll take your name upon myself, which is wicked one, one deserving of condemnation, and I'll give you my name, which is righteous one. Mm. And and th- then he rose from the dead in victory, and uh, now uh, we're waiting for him to uh, to return. And when he returns, the Bible uh, teaches us he will set the world to rights, this world that we live on right now. Um, the Bible doesn't teach that we'll live with God in heaven forever. It actually teaches that we'll live with him here on this earth forever, that he'll return and set this world to rights uh, so that there'll be no more sin, uh, no more sadness, none of the, the, the sort of the things that make life uh, so tough for us right now.
1: And Bruce, I mean, I I love this. I, I thank you so much for taking time to explain that larger narrative and how the gospel literally is holistic for the world. It's not just about getting saved today or checking a box and going to heaven. It's something that's going to set this entire world in right relationship with God. Even the cosmos will be restored. Um, For somebody who wants to become a Christian, for someone who wants to make that step, what can they do right now if uh, God is speaking to them
0: through your words? Yeah, you know, the Bible uh, portrays uh, it like this, that uh, God begins to work in somebody's heart and begins to, the, the, there's a spark of belief in their heart and in their mind, and uh, what God asks of you, if you're out there in, in radio land right now listening or listening as a podcast, um, what what God asks for you to do is just to embrace his message, just to believe it. It's something that simple, but that belief then begins to transform your life, and one of the ways that your life is transformed is by joining a church, and uh, being a part of God's people. God's people are imperfect. We're all flawed. There's no perfect churches. In fact, the, the only prerequisite for being a member of a church is that you're a sinner and that you've embraced Jesus. <laughs> okay. So um, that's what you can be guaranteed to find as other sinners just like you. And and that's that's one of the major ways that God begins to work in your life.
1: Friends, the, the book is The Gospel of Our King, and what you can, what you can hear today from this interview is the heart of the, one of the authors. Um, it's an excellent book. I want to encourage you to get it. It's put out by Baker Publishing, an excellent publishing group. Um, friends, we're going to be back. The time is going way too fast. I'm talking to Bruce Riley Ashford. When he comes back, um, I can't wait to discuss his other book that I really enjoyed, Letters to an American Christian. Here we go. Stay with us. We'll be right back on The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnson Show, welcoming those of you listening across Faith Radio Network in the Central and Eastern Time Zone, as well as all of you uh, who check in on demand on our podcast. Thanks so much for all those great reviews you're leaving leaving for us. As you're seeing today in the broadcast, uh, this is a program that inspires you to love God with your heart, soul, and mind. The, The number one commandment of Jesus, the great commandment was really the way he modified the Shema, to love God with your heart, soul, and strength. But God said, through Jesus, love me with your mind, love me with your thinking. And we're thinking deeply about questions of faith today uh, with our wonderful guest. Uh, He is the provost from Southeastern Seminary, a professor of theology and culture, um, and an excellent dad, Bruce Riley Ashford, a great husband. Um, Bruce, I want to talk to you about an excellent book. Thank you for sending it my way. It's called Letters to an American Christian. Uh, but I want to set it up this way, I, and I'm just wondering, knowing your story like I do from your writings, there was a time in your own life where you loved Jesus, but—and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing you—you you didn't quite know what to do with your faith. Can you just talk about that for a moment?
0: Yeah, you know, Christianity makes enormous claims, and I think they're true claims, but they're kind of enormous and mind-boggling. And, uh, you know, when I first became a Christian, I I grapple with the fact that if Jesus is Lord, like if God came and took on human flesh to uh, save us from our sins and transform our way of thinking and living, if he's Lord, then how does his lordship affect, you know, kind of all of our life? I mean, I understood how it affected my church attendance and some of my personal morality and relationship with my family and that kind of thing. But why does he matter for art or science or politics or economics or sports and competition, scholarship and education, business and entrepreneurship. I mean, these are the things that life is made of, right? This eighty, ninety 80, 90% of our waking time is spent at at our job or in school or with our family or uh, these sorts of things. And so I wrestled with that and grappled with it. It's been been the single most important question I've ever grappled with. And Mm. I came to terms with it through, not only through reading the Bible, but really through a guy named Abraham Kuyper. Uh, father yes. abraham i call him and he was interesting story he started out as a liberal pastor in the netherlands uh, hundred and some years ago but became a uh had a had a conversion if you will and became a, a bible believing christian but then later founded a newspaper a national newspaper founded a university founded a political party and became the prime minister of the netherlands and he uh, just gave some brilliant reflections on how to relate Christianity to all of life, and then specifically to politics and public life. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a, a great man, and his way of thinking uh, influenced me and influenced this book, Letters to an American Christian. And you know, I wrote the book because I think America is at a kind of a seam in history. There's so many things that are shifting right now. Uh, the lines are being redrawn, and I think all of us feel the cultural ground shifting beneath us. in in a a number of different ways, socially, culturally and politically. And this book was just my attempt to address those issues. Um, It is 27 very brief letters written to a hypothetical college student and encouraging him not to take the path of his secular progressive professors or the path of his secular conservative um, family members and to cut his own wake and to be his own man. Wow. And I mean, as I
1: often say, I mean, the, it's a battleground right now, especially in the secular universities. I mean, I, I I speak as a professor about most professors. Most professors are nihilist today, wouldn't you
0: say, Bruce? Yeah, you know, I there, you've got all kinds of <laughs> yeah, you've got all kinds of problems in higher education. I think one of the problems is that in higher education, the the goal is to be a creative thinker, so people are having to always invent new things. And when you're inventing new stuff, usually it's not reality based. Or often it's not reality-based. And and uh, one thing that's not reality-based is what you mentioned, nihilism. Nihilism, for those of you out there listening, probably most of you know what it is, but it's a uh, nihilism is a um, philosophical system, but also I think a mood that grows out of the belief that there's there's no God, and if there's no God, then the universe has no meaning. And uh, there's really no transcendent point of reference for gaining access to uh, uh, truth or or morality. And, uh, I think there is a lot of that out there. And what I want to come back and say is that there is such a thing as reality. It's created by God. The world has moral norms. And to the best of our ability, we ought to carve out a society where people can live freely, um, as Christians or as Muslims or as as atheists or uh, to align their life with their convictions. But where Christians seek to persuade everyone else in society, uh, toward a, toward a better way. And so we seek to pers- we want to uh, our we want our legislation and our political uh, forms and our political arrangements to cause human beings to flourish. And the Bible has a lot to say about what will cause us to flourish and what won't. And that was what we attempted to do what I attempted to do to do in the book
1: and you pick off some of these excellent, I mean, you picked off all great issues here. I mean, this is an excellent book. I love how I love the concept of the book, by the way. I just want to compliment you on just the concept of it. It's a fabulous book concept. Um, you know, you've got 20, more more than 20 here. What are some of the ones, that, the, the issues that you think have, or that you've heard back from readers
0: have been the most important right now? Yeah, so this book, and if you're listening, it's called Letters to an American Christian. It treats 27 hot-button issues, so I've gotten feedback, I mean, positive feedback and blisteringly angry feedback from pretty <laughs> much every chapter, and that's how it is in the States right now. Everything's so um, polarized, but I mean, the very first chapter is entitled No Public Nudity, Please, and uh, it's a play on words. that There's a, a, a liberal political professor. He's not, he's not alive anymore, but his name was John Rawls. He was at Harvard University, and he argued that if you want to really be able to do what is best for society, for American society, is that when you come and discuss things politically in the public square or when you try to think about what's best for America, um, that you should tie your religion behind your back, that you should hide it from yourself because the only thing it can do is prejudice you. And so what I argued in in this is that Rawls believed that religion was something like a a, um, clothing that you could just take off and come to the public square and everyone would come naked and have our political discussions and we could go back home and put our clothes on. Yeah. But religion is not like clothing. The Bible teaches that religion, whatever it is that you absolutize, whether you're an atheist or an agnostic or a Christian or something else, whatever it is you've absolutized, whatever your lodestar is, uh, that's your religion, that's your God. And that it is that... Once it's become ultimate, of course it's going to affect your politics. How could it not? And if you call something your religion and it doesn't affect your politics, then it's not really your religion. And so what I say is that you can't separate religion and politics, that what you want to do is you want your your religious beliefs to help shape your politics and public life in an appropriate manner. Now, in another chapter, I address church and state, and that's a different question than religion and politics. They're not the same question.
1: And can you explain why those why those are different questions for the benefit of the audience?
0: Yeah, so you know, a moment ago we just or I argued that that um, politics and religion can't be separated because if something is truly a religion, it's going to affect everything that you do and all the way that you think. It can't it can't even be separated. So don't even try. But church and state can be separate. They can maintain a, an appropriate separation. What we want to avoid, actually, is ecclesiasticism on the one hand and statism on the other. Ecclesiasticism is when the church or when a denomination like the Roman Catholic Church or Southern Baptist Convention or whatever tries to set itself up in a coercive relationship with the government, where the government is doing what the church tells it to do. Um, And on the opposite side, statism is when the government swells to gigantic proportions, tries to tell all of the other spheres of culture what to do. And so we want to avoid both of those. If I could draw upon Abraham Kuyper for a minute, um, he he said, listen, if you look at patterns in history— If you look at the world around you, and if you look at patterns in the Bible, you can see that God created different kinds of culture, right? Art, science, politics, etc. And he used a spatial analogy and said that each of these kinds of culture is like a sphere, right? And it has its own center and its own circumference. So it has its own center, meaning its own unique reason for being, but also has a circumference or limits to its jurisdiction. So the government... Uh, The center of the government's reason for being is to bring justice to the various individuals and and communities under its purview. And that's not the goal of art. It's not the goal of science. It's not the goal of marriage and family. It's not the goal of the church. That's what the government does. But it also means that the government has limits to its jurisdictions. It needs to swim in its own lane. It needs to keep its dirty fingers out of all the other spheres, right? There's only very limited instances when the government should, should intervene. And so um, anyway, I try to unfold this view of um, politics and public life throughout the rest of the book. And the book, which is called Letters to an American Christian, treats pretty much everything, transgender ideology, abortion, um, racial tensions, um, the market, you know, the economy, trying to think any hot button issue you can imagine. Um, The attempt to shutter free speech, um, you know, tribal politics, which is the death of democracy. It'll burn down the house that our founding fathers built. Um, so, you know, it's a, I think it's a really, really fun book. It was a fun book to write and I wrote it for people who wanted to read a book in an easy chair at the beach, right? Yeah, not at it's, a, not at a it's desk. Fun.
1: It's a fun read. You learn a lot. You learn a lot about our world. And it's, it, these are questions that come up in Christian life today, unless, unless you've just totally isolated yourself or have your head in, your sand, in the sand. These are the questions too that if you're a father, a mother, grandfather, grandparent, or a surrogate parent, or a surrogate grandparent, this would be a great book to take a youth ministry through, a college ministry through. I don't care if you're 80 years old. This would be a great book to take your, your senior adults ministry through. Um, Bruce, I ask all of my guests uh, that come on the program a final question, and I've been excited to ask you this question. Uh, and it's been so fun because uh, on this program, i often say that vulnerability, in my opinion, is the new superpower to reach people for Jesus Christ. Uh, I think the more vulnerable mm-hmm. we can be, authentic. Um, and I don't try to answer it. I'm not a PS guy, as you've seen in this program. Um, but I ask all of my guests, if you could ask Jesus any questions today, what would it be? What is your unanswered question for God? Perhaps you've already dealt with it. Perhaps you've transcended it. Perhaps you don't think you can ask God a question um, I ask all of my guests, and I'm, I'm putting together quite a compilation of answers from my guests um, about what their unanswered question is for God. So Bruce Riley Ashford, I mean, if you could ask Jesus anything today, uh, what would it be?
0: I think I would ask him, uh, what is the best way forward in our own nation to be a public witness for you in the midst of the turmoil that we've got right now? I think we've got as much turmoil— almost as much turmoil as there was in the 60s. People don't remember in the 60s, you had the weathermen underground, you had bombings, you had houses being firebombed. I mean, it was an awful, awful, you had assassinations, it was an awful era, and we haven't reached that level. But we've got a pretty toxic and polarized environment. And sometimes I'm confused at how best to move forward and how best to try to help God's people unify. I would ask him to uh, give me some very clear <laughs> marching orders that are even more detailed than what we, re- we receive in scripture. I think I'd, I'd ask him that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so- hopefully, he, hopefully he's not up there laughing at my books, you know, <laughs> say, oh man, <laughs> Ashford, Ooh. he gave it his best shot, but it wasn't very good. You know? <laughs>
1: Uh, guys, uh, Bruce, you've been so fun to talk to. The time has gone by way too fast. We've got to jump to our final break. But um, friends, connect with him on social media at Bruce Ashford. Check out his website. Read his books. Pray for his awesome family. Bruce, this has been too fun. Um, I feel like we're, we we need to become fast friends. Uh, I just love we have so much in common. I love what you do. Will you come back to the program in the, in the days ahead?
0: Man, that'll be a lot of fun. Let's do it.
1: All right, my friend. We'll be back with some final thoughts. Stay with us on The Jeremiah Johnson Show. <music> Welcome back to the final segment of the jeremiah johnston show i 've been thinking about so many of the comments of Bruce Riley Ashford, and again, friends, I want to just thank God for our one year anniversary of the program if you 're just tuning in uh, first off you 've missed an incredible discussion with Bruce Ashford on faith and culture, faith, how faith intersects political life, culture. Uh, There's really a holistic view of faith that we cannot miss as as followers of Jesus, and we need to absolutely exemplify in our Christian life. Um, These are the kind of conversations that we have every single week on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. This is our one-year anniversary today. We went on air a year ago today on Faith Radio Network, and we're celebrating what God's done on this program. If this program has ministered to you, I would love to hear about it. Just, you know, Acts 14, 27 said the church came together to share all that God had done among them to reach the world. And I would love to just celebrate by hearing from you. If this program has ministered to you, send me an email. Let me give you my email address. It's Jeremiah at com. It'll come straight to my desk. That's Jeremiah at ChristianThinkers.com. And we'd love to hear from you about how this program has encouraged you. Those of you who have already written to me saying that you literally play it in your Bible studies, uh, you share it with your pastor, you share it in your Christian uh, Sunday school classes. I'm so delighted to have that information. Let me also encourage you to pick up Bruce Riley Ashford's book, Letters to an American Christian. We, we had to cut that short in the final segment, but what a fantastic look at more than 20 hot-button issues uh, and a creative concept, too. So definitely pick that book up. That is such a fun read, and it will inform you how to have these discussions around these difficult subjects that so often people um, are stunned into silence when these, co- when these questions pop up. Finally, I do want to encourage you, if you have not done it, I haven't shared this in a few weeks, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks so much for all the great reviews you're li- leaving for this program. I'm delighted by that. Finally, I also want to encourage you to sign up for our email list at christianthinkers.com. We have an email that we send out to a large group of people that connect with this ministry. We update you on things like what God is doing in our live events. There are five aspects to the mission of Christian Thinker Society. One of those five are live events that happen not just here in the United States, but they happen around the world. And we have a full slate of events this fall that you're going to be hearing about. Some exciting events coming up this month of September right around the corner in Denver, Colorado, also coming up uh, in uh, Miami, Florida. Friends, so subscribe to the email, ChristianThinkers.com. Definitely check out our resources that we have available for you online. And then finally, I just want to encourage you to keep engaging with this broadcast. We're doing this for you. We love encouraging and informing your faith. We love having these conversations. The great thing about loving God with our heart, soul, and mind, it doesn't mean that we check our brain at the door. The fun thing is God's a big boy. He can take our deep questions. I'm so grateful for you. This is a huge celebration. I can't talk enough about how God is using this program to transform people's lives, to encourage people back to the faith, to solidify, to affirm the faith. And that's really what the New Testament about is about. The New Testament is about right doctrine, believing the right way, and then inspiring others with the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been wonderful to celebrate this one-year anniversary. We'll see you same time, same place, back here next week on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Bless you.
0: Thank you for listening to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. If you have any follow-up questions from today's program, we'd love to hear from you. You can submit your questions at askjjj.com. From there, you can also connect with us across social media. All our conversations are available because of listener support. To find out more information, head over to myfaithradio.com. And so you never miss a show, you can subscribe to our podcast free in iTunes, the Google Play Store, or even our RSS feed. Thank you for sharing our show with a friend and growing the impact of our ministry.